Good morning. It is a joy, it is a blessing that God has given us that we're able to be here together. Um, I'm very thankful for this group of people, for the spiritual family that God has given us, the good work that he is uh, continuing to do within us and among us, um, for the hearts here that, that love the Lord and love him deeply. Over the, the five and a half years uh, that Aaron and I have lived here, we, we've seen a lot of growth, uh, thanks to the Lord, a lot, lot of changes, a lot of challenges, a lot of new workers in the harvest year, a lot of opportunities even now before us. And, and God has blessed us abundantly. Um, it's exciting to see at times of great opportunities, of great growth. But I want us to consider uh, the ideas from Psalm 127 in verse 1 today. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Um, That's true certainly of our homes, of our lives individually. It's true of this church, this local flock as well. What's quickly built can just as quickly be torn down if it's not properly grounded in the Lord. In the parable of the sower, you may remember the seed and the stony ground that quickly sprouted up with joy, uh, but because it had no root, it quickly withered away when the sun beat down upon it. If we aren't careful, that could be us. Uh, When the rains come down and the floods come up, you remember uh, this passage we just read in Matthew 7 with Jerome, uh, we see that the house that was built on the sand went splat, as we many times say. Um, that could be us. Uh, and I'm, I'm afraid, uh, you know, as we've experienced perhaps some, some winds and some waves in a, in a temporal sense through COVID and some of the challenges that we had with that, um, could, could that be us? Uh, if we're not grounded in the Lord, challenges, difficulties, conflict will very quickly tear down what God has built. But there's a clear way to guard against that, to build our house on the rock, to ground our growth in Jesus and in obedience to his words. Most of us are probably familiar with this passage here in Matthew 7, uh, the wise man built his house on the rock. You probably uh, could could sing it. You might even know the hand motions to it. Uh, but, But knowing the words, knowing the ideas and applying them are much different things. Uh, one thing that I, I'm not sure that I fully appreciate, uh, appreciated until more recent years is in this passage when Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them is like the man who built his house on the rock. Specifically, he's talking about the words that he's just preached. And, and I think it's a legitimate for us to apply that to all that Jesus teaches, apply that to all that the Spirit reveals, grounding our lives upon the revealed Word of God. But I think in particular, we we need to look at the words that Jesus just said. We need to look at the Sermon on the Mount. Those are the words primarily that he's talking about uh, in this context that we need to be grounding our lives in. So if we want to think about grounding our lives, we want to think about grounding this church in Jesus Uh, then perhaps it will be helpful to spend some time looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And I want to look at kind of four pillars that we see in the Sermon on the Mount that will help keep us grounded as a congregation, uh, keep us from from going splat when the winds and the waves uh, come up. So first of all, we need to be grounded in humility. 
at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, we see Jesus starts with what we often call the Beatitudes, uh, a description of those who will be blessed and honored in the, in the spiritual economy of this kingdom. But, but what stands out in this list of blessings is how much it turns worldly ideals and priorities on their head. Um, these are not the people that we would normally think of as, as the, the, the blessed and honored of, of society, of this world. Uh, quite the opposite. We see it's not the religious elite who will be blessed, but it's the poor in spirit. It's not those who rejoice in their own self-righteousness, but those who mourn over their sins. It's not the prideful, the powerful, the assertive, but the meek and the lowly. It's not the self-sufficient, the comfortable, the complacent, but those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And so the, the very first pillar of a firmly grounded house, of a firmly grounded church, is a recognition of our own spiritual poverty, of our weakness and foolishness. That we are helpless and hopeless on our own. That we cannot build this house with our own strength, with our own wisdom. Um, we need to start with the recognition of just how much we need to lean on the Lord. To depend fully on his strength, on his wisdom. And you notice in these beatitudes, in these blessings, um, the kind of blessings that are given says, the, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. These blessings that are pronounced upon these individuals aren't things that they achieve, right? It's, it's not that if, if you do this, then you will accomplish these great things. It's you will receive these great things. The blessings of being part of the kingdom aren't blessings that we bring into it ourselves, they're blessings that we need from the Lord. And so starting with a deep recognition of that need for what God has to provide, the blessings that he has to give us in his kingdom is where we need to begin. If we begin to think that the blessings we've received and the growth that we've seen um, in this church are, are a product of our own wisdom or a credit to our own efforts and ability, uh, then we are building our house on sand. It's not about us. Uh, look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You remember in the church in Corinth, uh, there was a great temptation to glory in their teachers and their leaders. Uh, people are saying in chapter 1 and verse 12, I, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas. Glorying in, in flesh and man. In verse 20, it says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Those are the kind of people that they were uh, being tempted to put their focus on. That's what's important. That's what uh, we uh, see as the, the most commendable things about, about this church. But that's completely the wrong focus. And Paul is trying to recorrect, uh, is re reform their thinking here. He says in chapter 1, starting in verse 26, if you'll read with me, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are 
so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Where does their focus need to be? Not on Paul or Apollos or Cephas, not on the wise and the scribe and the debater of this age. It needs to be on the Lord. Uh, God had called them out of weakness and foolishness. It wasn't that they brought these things into the kingdom with them. Uh, They didn't bring in their own wisdom or righteousness or sanctification or redemption. That's what the Lord provided. And the result is that God alone is to be glorified. You know, brother, it's not wrong for us to rejoice and praise God for the good things that we see going on uh, among our brethren. Um, in fact, we, we need to speak well of one another, uh, express appreciation for one another, speak well of what God is doing among us, uh, see one another through a, through a positive lens, give honor to whom honor is due, outdo one another in showing honor. It's good that we speak positively about what is going on among our brethren here. But we need to make sure uh, that we are boasting in what the Lord is doing among us and never boasting about what the Lord is doing among us. (laughs) The Lord is the focus. We need to glorify him in that. But let's make sure that that's where we focus. We are foolish. We are weak. We are lowly and despised. We are poor in spirit. But if this house is going to be built, if this flock is going to grow, if God's work is going to be accomplished among us, it's going to be him. First Corinthians chapter three, a little bit later, first uh, Corinthians three, starting in verse five, Paul uh, talks about himself and Apollos. He says in verse five, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Where does the growth come from? Does it come based on, you know, how much finesse the sower has and how he sows the seed and, and, and the, the technique that he uses? No. no we, we sow, we plant, we water, any servant can do that. The Lord is the one who gives the growth. And so we need, if we want to be firmly grounded, if we want to grow the way that God intends for us to grow, we need to keep him as the focus. We can't stop pointing towards him, keeping him as our focus, giving him the glory. I think about Matthew 5, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about shining our lights, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's not that the good work going on among us is something that we should be, be hiding, right? Uh, we, it should be evident. God's work among us and through us and within us should be evident to others around us. But where is the focus? If people look at the work going on here and start speaking highly of the Eastside Church of Christ, then brethren, we failed. That's not our goal. Uh, we failed to keep the focus where it needs to be. People need to, to see the work going on among us, to be encouraged by it, and to be encouraged to glorify God for the work that he is doing. And the way that we think 
about it, the way that we talk about it, should encourage people to have that focus. We're warned later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6 and verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. If we want to stay grounded as we grow, we need to keep the focus from beginning to end on God. He's the one who builds the house. He's the one who causes, causes the growth. We need to recognize our utter dependence on his strength, his guidance, uh, his wisdom, and his blessing. And if we start there, if we start poor in spirit, if we start with this humble attitude that's entirely focused on him and his work and his glory, uh, then one of the, the deepest ways that we welcome his work into our lives is by being grounded in God's word. Um, this is one of the most important ways that, that we welcome God's work among us is to keep the focus on his word. Certainly, uh, God works in many other ways. Uh, God hears our prayers. God answers our prayers. Uh, God is at work providentially within the world uh, through the working of his spirit uh, and his angels in ways that we can't even comprehend. But if God's word is not at work among us, then he is not work at work among us. Um, Matthew chapter 5 and verses 21 through 48 in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, remember that, that Jesus in this section continually says, uh, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Um, you have heard that it was said, uh, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with your brother will be liable to judgment. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery within his heart. And so we, we see it so on and so forth. He continues to, to make this contrast between what they had heard said and what he says unto them. I want you to think for a moment in the religious world of today. If Jesus were to, to re preach this sermon with maybe some of the things that we've heard, that we're hearing in society around us, what, what kind of things might he say? You, you have heard that it was said, follow your heart. You have heard that it was said, be true to yourself. You've heard that it was said, life is about the journey, not the destination. Um, you've heard that it was said, pray the sinner's prayer and accept Jesus into your heart. You know, you may be able to think of a variety of things that, that we here, maybe that we say um, that might influence our thinking about God and about our service to him um, beyond or outside of what God has said within his word. The, the point here is that we need to get past what we think God wants or what we think God approves of and look more seriously and diligently to what God actually says he wants and stay true to the pattern of his word. Um, if, if, if we rely on guessing what we think God would be most pleased with, what we think he would approve of, we, we, we already started with principle one. Uh, we're poor in spirit. We don't have those answers. We can't do that ourselves. And so how do we welcome God's work into our lives? How do we make sure that we're, we're in everything we do, uh, building our foundation upon him? 
Well, that, that's the most foundational thing he says here in Matthew 7. Um, remember, in, in Matthew 7, leading up to this uh, parable of, uh, or illustration of the wise man building his house on the rock, he's warned us there's going to be many false prophets. There can be many false teachers. And we need to be discerning about that. Verse 21, we read with Jerome, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There are going to be many who are calling Jesus Lord, who are doing many works in his name that look publicly uh, commendable. But he says, uh, I never knew you. Well, how, how do we guard against that? How do we make sure that, that we're not following some false prophet or false teacher? How do we make sure that that's not us? That we're not those who say, Lord, Lord, and yet do not do the things that he says. Well, verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. How do we build our house on the rock? First and foremost, we welcome God's word into our heart. And we allow it to be the foundation by which we understand who God is and what it is that he desires from us, by which we build everything in our life, everything within this church upon the foundation of what God has revealed to us about himself and about his will. And so we need to not add or take away from God's word, not insert our own ideas or feelings or opinions about that. We need to speak where the Bible speaks, be silent. Where the Bible is silent, we need to let it be our blueprint, our pattern, our standard in all things for being pleasing to the Lord. And so that means our sermons need to be scripture focused. Our classes need to be scripture focused. Our men's meetings need to be scripture focused. Our, our daily lives need to be scripture focused. And the more and more that each individual here internalizes God's word within them, and allows it to, to mold our thinking, the more and more we as a congregation be, can be rooted and grounded in the Lord. Um, I think about Psalm 1. Psalm 1 uh, gives us this picture of a man who is a tree planted by the waters. This picture of stability. Uh, in strength. Well, where does that come from? It says in Psalm 1, starting in verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its light, leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Do you want to be a tree planted by the waters? Does this church want to be a tree planted by the waters to the glory of God? Well, how does that happen? It doesn't happen by listening to the counsel of the world around us and letting that be the primary influences that we're hearing, does it? No, it happens by meditating day and night on the law of the Lord. That's where we're going to come to know him. That's how we're going to be rooted and grounded in who he wants us to be. And so if, if we want God at work in our hearts and in our lives, we want God at work within this church, we, we first and foremost welcome his work into our lives when we allow the seed of his word, the water of his word, to nourish us, to help us get firmly rooted and grounded in him. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God does not keep it a secret how we develop into the kind of workers, the kind of servants that he wants us to be. <laughs> he makes it very evident to us. If we want to be thoroughly equipped, complete, ready for every good work, how do we do it? Well, he tells us we, we take his word, the, the words that he breathed out of his own mouth, coming from his own heart, to equip us, to strengthen us. If we want to grow, we want to grow and mature, uh, we want to be equipped to weather the storms, that's not going to happen by following our own business models or marketing strategies, uh, not our own charismatic personalities. It's going to happen by going to God's word, allowing it to guide our every step and mold every facet of our character and our thinking. But as we think about being grounded in the words of Jesus, uh, one of the most revolutionary teachings that Jesus gives in this sermon is what true love looks like. Being grounded in God's word is ultimately about being grounded in his character, about allowing him to, to mold uh, our attitudes, our thinking, the way that we act and interact with others around us. And so as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, this is a major focus of these words that we are grounding ourselves in. Um, you know, we, we see in uh, Matthew 5, verse 38, that the, the world says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We, we see in verse 43, uh, they've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, what does God say about that? Look, look in Matthew 5, verse 39. It says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn, the, uh, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Again, down in verse 44, he says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus doesn't measure love by the world's standards. He measures love by God's standards. God doesn't just love those who love him, who, who've done good things to him, who, who are lovable. God loves the unlovable. God loves those who, who made themselves his enemy, loves those who crucified his very son upon the cross. That's our standard. Of love. That's what true love looks like. And as, as we continue this thought throughout the sermon, as we get down uh, to the last chapter, Matthew 7 and verse 12, we have kind of a, a summarizing statement of much of what he said. It says in Matthew 7 and verse 12, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You might see this as almost kind of a, a climax statement of the Sermon on the Mount, kind of an overarching conclusion 
of much of what he said up to this point. Because you remember back in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, very early on, Jesus had said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Well, what, what is fulfilling the law and the prophets? He concludes in Matthew 7 and verse 12 that uh, the, the golden rule, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also them. This is the law and the prophets. You see the kind of bookends here where he begins with that idea and he concludes with that idea. And so everything in between, it kind of falls somewhere into that, that category of showing love as God shows love. Um, treating our, our neighbor as ourself. You, you think about what Jesus teaches us about anger and hatred, what he teaches up, us about lust and unfaithfulness, uh, about hypocrisy and, and materialism, self-righteousness and judgmental attitudes at the beginning of Matthew chapter 7. All of that is summed up in loving our neighbor as ourselves. Um, this is a major focus of, of what Jesus is, is teaching here. And so as we think about being grounded in the Lord, we need to be thinking about ground, being grounded in this principle of love for one another. You know, why, why is it that churches fall apart? That churches d- divide? Um, why do churches split? I think 90% of the time, maybe more, it's, it's not necessarily or primarily because of doctrinal differences. Because even when there are doctrinal disagreements that may be present, it is often unloving attitudes that prevent us from working those things out. It's because of unloving words, because of gossip, backbiting, assuming the worst, being quick to judge the motives or intentions of others grumbling and complaining, failure to put the needs and concerns of other people before our own, failure to listen, failure to communicate with consideration and thoughtfulness. I think first and foremost, churches fall apart when God's love is lacking among us. And Jesus put that love at the very forefront of what it means to be his disciples. In John chapter 13, Verse 34 and 35, we read, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Brethren, love is what identifies us as Jesus' disciples. It is the, the, the badge, the mark of discipleship. It's what shows the world that God is at work among us. If we don't have love, we don't have God. And if we don't have God, then this house is doomed to crumble. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, Paul here prays for uh, the the church that he's writing to. He says, uh, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What is Paul's prayer here for these brethren? How how is it that they're going to be rooted and grounded, that they're going to stand firm when the, the winds and the waves come? By being grounded in 
love. And I want you to, to see kind of a mental picture here in this passage. Uh, Christ's love is the, the soil. And we are seeking to, to reach the roots down, our roots down into his love, trying to, to reach the breadth and the length, the height and the depth, to reach as deep and as wide as we can into his love. His love that surpasses knowledge. <laughs> That has no limits. How are we going to be grounded? By reaching our roots down deep into that love and letting that be the foundation that directs everything that we do. Everything that we do towards one another, everything that we do towards the world around us, that they may see the fullness of God within us, the fullness of his character. Does that describe us? Does that describe you? You know, the winds and the waves will come. There are going to be times where, uh, you know, there are misunderstandings, where something is said, something is done that upsets me, where I don't feel like people are, are uh, you know, caring for my needs, where I don't feel like people are, are, are listening, where we have hurt feelings. Be, being humans, <laughs> we're, we're going to stumble in that. How do we handle it, though? Are, are we going to get bitter? Are we going to complain? Are we going to not communicate about it and work through it in love, but rather allow it to fester and cause greater divides among us? If we want to be who God wants us to be, we're going to reach deep into the love of Christ. The love that isn't focused on how you treat me, isn't focused on how I feel about this relationship, on, on whether or not you're meeting my needs. We're going to reach into the love of Christ that is sacrificial and selfless and empty ourselves to be peacemakers, to, to bridge those gaps, to bring people back together, to help us be all that God wants us to be. And if that's not the heart that we have, then when the winds and waves come, we are going to fall flat. We need God's love among us. You know, not too long ago, we, we went to Ohio Pile and we're walking along the path. And I remember there, there must have been some big storm uh, not, not too long before that. Because as we walked, from time to time, you'd see just these massive trees that had been knocked over. And they, they had been torn out by the roots, Right? And so you could see, uh, as massive as that tree was, th those roots had not been able to hold. When the winds and the waves came, didn't stand firm. On the surface, those looked like some big, pretty big trees. <laughs> they looked pretty strong, but they were top-heavy. It doesn't matter how much growth we may experience um, if we aren't first and foremost grounded in the love of Christ, um, then that, that's all going to be for naught. We're going to be torn out at the roots. But let's look at one last area of application in the Sermon on the Mount. That's being grounded in devotion. Being grounded in God's word and being grounded in God's love, uh, being grounded in, in faith and humility doesn't happen by accident. It is something that is going to require commitment, diligence, and devotion. You know, you may think that the house builder can have all the right materials. He can have all the right tools, all the right experience. He can have the right blueprint. 
But if he doesn't actually put in the time and effort <laughs> to get to work and to start building, it doesn't matter how good his tools are. It doesn't matter how many qualifications he has. It doesn't matter if the blueprint was precise and correct. If he doesn't put in the effort to actually build it, then nothing's going to happen. If we want to be grounded in the Lord, if we want to build this house on the Lord, we need to get to work. We need to put in some serious effort and devotion. And Jesus urges proper devotion time and time again in the Sermon on the Mount. Look in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 as he addresses some distractions of this world, uh, material uh, priorities and blessings. It says in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know, you, we, we could probably insert a whole lot of different earthly priorities there. Um, doesn't matter what, what the other master is, uh, whether it be money, earthly hobbies, career, education, even family. Um, we can't have two things on the throne of our heart. We can only have one master. And if we're not devoted to the Lord, if that, if that doesn't accurately describe who we are, then, then there's some other master that we're serving. If we want to be who God wants us to be, we have to be devoted, fully devoted to him as our master. As he continues here in Matthew chapter 6, um, starting in verse 31, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, if we were to kind of list out what we think are the, the highest necessities of life, <laughs> you know, food, clothing, uh, you know, having something to, to, to drink, um, you know, shelter, th- those, those are pretty high on the list, right? Jesus says, those are the things the Gentiles seek after. That's what, not what God's people are focused on. As for you, seek first the kingdom of God. If we want to be all that God wants us to be, if we want to build this house on Jesus Christ, we need to keep him first. We need to be diligently seeking to to spread his rule, his kingdom. Genuinely seeking to develop his righteousness, allow him to transform us from the inside out. That doesn't happen by accident. That happens by us intentionally, day by day, putting him first. Seeking him even above our daily food. We can't be like the people in the days of Haggai and Zechariah who got busy building their own houses and neglected the house of the Lord. Um, We need to keep first things first. Everything else in life needs to be filtered through and molded by our devotion to the Lord. And and Jesus doesn't sugarcoat this for us. He he doesn't make discipleship seem uh, as though it's going to be some some real easy thing or less demanding. Look what he says in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. 
Matthew 7, starting in verse 13, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Brethren, if you think the Christian life is easy, you're doing it wrong. Jesus says the easy way is the road that leads to destruction. Yes, the Christian life is blessed. He made that very clear from the very beginning of this sermon. And and being in the yoke of Jesus, taking his yoke upon us, takes the burden of guilt and shame off of our shoulders. We don't have to carry that any longer. Uh, We no longer have to lean on our own strength or wisdom. We can have peace and joy and comfort and hope knowing that he is in control, that he's the potter and we are the clay. But the road that we walk is not an easy road. We may have to go through the valley of the shadow of death and thank the Lord we don't go through it on our own. We have the shepherd with us, but the road that we walk is not described as an easy road. In fact, it's a road that will cost us everything. Later on, Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 through 39 Notice what Jesus says here. Matthew 10, 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's what discipleship looks like. That's what Jesus calls us to. And that's what we need to be calling one another to. There is nothing that can come before the Lord in our lives. I have to bring everything to the altar of my devotion to God. Be a living sacrifice to him. My relationships, my goals, my dreams, my very life itself needs to be laid upon the altar. Because it's no longer mine. It's the Lord's. I think about what Paul said in Galatians 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. He took up his cross, right? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. You know, that that, that has been one of my favorite passages over the years. And, and In some ways, we can look at that and think of it as as a a tremendous description of the the ideal. You know, that that we we want to attain to that, to say it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But that's not something that just, you know, the really strong Christians should be able to say. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what each and every one of us here have done when we buried the old man of sin in baptism. We were raised to walk in newness of life. What we were saying is it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Did we mean it? You look at Galatians 5 later on in the same book where Paul says that. Galatians 5 and in verse 24. Galatians 5 verse 24, he says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Brethren, do you belong to Jesus? If you do, 
He says, you need to be able to say what he said. <laughs> You've been crucified with Christ. And, and as you look in this context, that, that statement comes right in between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. The works of the flesh, our old life, our old self, they've been crucified uh, with Christ. And, and look for a moment at how he describes these works of the flesh. Starting in verse 19 of Galatians chapter 5, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Then notice what he starts saying. Enmity. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Do you notice maybe a common theme in those? Uh, You know, some of them might be more readily what we think of when we think of the works of the flesh, fleshly lusts, uh, you know, uh, like, like drunkenness, sexual immorality. But eight out of the 15, over half of the things that he lists here have to do with how we treat one another, our relationships with each other. We asked the question earlier, why is it that churches split and fall apart? Paul, Paul warns them here in chapter 5 and verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Why, why, why do churches bite and devour one another? Because they're not walking by the spirit, but by the flesh. Somebody is walking by the flesh. God's desire for us, for this body, is that we be one body with one spirit. And whose spirit is that? Is it Jason's? Is it Jerome's? Dave's? It's not mine. <laughs> it's the Lord's spirit. And the problems come in. We start biting and devouring one another when it's not the Lord's spirit that's directing us. When, when, when we haven't fully crucified ourselves, and it's still my spirit. It's still some selfish desire and how I relate with other people and how I, uh, how I do the Lord's work, how I live from day to day. That's the works of the flesh that are going to tear us apart. What, what happens when you have multiple spirits directing one body? We call that demon possession. And that didn't usually work out very well. For, for the per- person who had the demons. You remember the, the demon man, the demon possessed man who, who had hurt himself? If, if we have multiple spirits, if we're being directed by my own thoughts, my own desires, whether or not this is meeting my needs and doing what I want, it is going to tear us apart. If we want to be grounded in Jesus, we've got to be devoted to him. We need to crucify self on the cross, take up our cross and follow Jesus, bury the old man of sin in the waters of baptism and the life that we all now live is no longer us, but Christ who lives in us. But when we truly do that, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to accomplish God's work among us. God's work, God's love, God's will is going to be evident in everything that we do. But we've got to pay the price. We, we have to lay ourselves down on the altar to him. Can't be us who live, but Christ who lives in us. I, ha, have you done that? Are you truly devoted to him? Does it show in the way that you live from day to day? Does it show in the way that you interact with others around you? Um, 
you know, we, we still live in the flesh. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. We still struggle with the flesh. There are going to be times where we're still pulled to want to do things, you know, out of selfish interest. We've we got to lay that on the altar. If we want to be grounded in Jesus, um, we need to lay it all before him. What about you today? Is your house being built on the rock? Are you grounded in God's word? Are you grounded in humility, in love, in devotion to him? If not, if I'm not, this house is going to fall and a great many of us with it. Yet God, in his grace, offers us the opportunity to change, to start over, uh, to reset our foundation, to begin building our lives on him anew. Do you need to make some change today? Um, if you recognize that your, your life is not grounded on the Lord, don't leave here without making some change. Um, God has provided us a community, a family, um, to help us, we're all different parts of the body. We have different strengths and weaknesses, different struggles, but, but God wants us to band together to support one another, to be more and more who he wants us to be each day. If we can help you in that in some way, you need to confess some, some sin, some struggle before these brethren, uh, we want to offer you that opportunity. We'll be glad to pray with you and pray for you uh, and seek to, to support you in that in whatever way we can. If you've never committed your life to the Lord, um, as long as you're still living for self, self deserves to be eternally separated from the Lord. Um, the only way to have hope in the Lord is to put self to death, to crucify self with the Lord, to bury that old man in the waters of baptism. And by God's grace, by the power of the resurrection, you can be raised to have a new life, a life that will last for all eternity. You don't have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death alone. You can walk with the Lord. If you need to make that commitment today, won't you do it? If there's any way that we can help you, uh, we ask that you'll make it known. Please stand as we sing this song uh, and let us know if you have some need.